Welcome, podcasters. You are listening to another episode of Tell Me Why, a resource for athletes, coaches, and parents in sport. Co-hosted by Dr. Ginny Christerna and U.S. Speed Skating Hall of Fame inductee Patrick Wentland. This podcast is developed as a resource for athletes, parents, coaches, and referees looking to improve player development and performance. Conversations and opinions expressed on the show are not intended as medical or clinical advice. Welcome, podcasters, to another episode of Tell Me Why. Today, we are doing session two on how to improve your mental game. If you missed last week, please go back and listen. We covered a great deal of learning about confidence, how to build your confidence, the different types of confidence builders that people have. Today, along with me, co-host Dr. Jenny Christerna and myself, Patrick Wentland, uh, we are going to continue on the same category, talking a little more about imagery, focus, and concentration. And Jenny, uh, since you are the expert, I am going to let you take it away. Oh, well, we'll never get past a point. So you have to help me because, you know, it's I, I get distracted. All right. Well, Wait, let's, let's start. Okay. I'm going to start babbling about imagery here. This is one thing for me uh, that I didn't do enough of when I was competing. I've been really working with my athletes now to do more of this. I have discovered how helpful it is. And I really think athletes, if they can learn how to do it correctly, and I, and I think that's a process. It's process to learn how to do it well and effectively. But if you can do imagery practice for your sport, I think it's almost as good as actually physically doing the work. If you can do it well, once you get good at it, what do you think? Oh, I'm agreeing with you. 52 gazillion percent. That's a lot. That's a, that's a number. That's a real number in my head. It's a real number. So, um, here's the thing. Imagery because remember we were talking about last week that the brain can't tell the difference. Whatever the brain feels and experiences in there is real, which is why whatever you believe, you're right. So imagery, if you tie it to whatever sport, it's, it's not exclusive to just a particular sport, a certain type of sport, or a type of individual in a sport. Imagery can be used by anybody in a sport, in any sport, and we are not supposed to use absolutes, but it really can be done. You would have to, of course, develop it and you would have to practice, but imagery can be used in any sport by any athlete and it doesn't have to be the same way. Each person puts their energetic fingerprint on it, their own personality and, and what have you, but imagery is imagery. You're simply imagining, you're simply visualizing you're simply picturing some people have a movie, a full-blown movie play out of what will happen, what nice. that will look like. But here's the thing about imagery that a lot of athletes are either not told or they don't believe in or they forget to do. Imagery works best when there is an emotional anchor. If oh. it's not tied to emotion, it's like, it's kind of like my attention span after like 45 minutes of reading a very dry book. It's just okay. like, what did I just read again? And I have to go back and reread it. Okay. So imagery must be tied to emotion every time. If it's not, it's not like the sky is going to fall. 
but it, it's just not as effective and it doesn't stick. So even with my kids, and when I was at USA Taekwondo, when I worked with the athletes there with you, it was always tied to emotion. And when they were able to connect the imagery, the visualization with an emotion, and it has to be a healthy emotion, it has to be emotion that is what we call um, congruent, right? It has to be like that. If it isn't, then it's not going to stick. It'll only last for a little bit or be kind of hit and miss. But okay. if you anchor that in, uh, imagery or that visualization and emotion, you have a pretty good chance of it kind of going not exactly the way you want it to go or you see it because you have other dynamics at play. But for the most part, it goes that way. All right. Now, and that's just news to me because for me, it's always just been, okay, imagine your competition, imagine your race, your game, imagine what you're doing it, imagine you doing something well. Is, is that a, I'm assuming that's a, a positive emotion, something like feeling energetic or feeling like a winner, feeling confident, feeling powerful. What, what kind of emotion are we looking for? So what you described is the good part. It's like everybody wants to skip and get to the good part. Okay. That's fine. We'll get to the good part. And in order to get to the good part, you have to create game-like conditions, which means, right, when you, for example, I was at a, a FIFA 1 test the other day, and now many of them have trained. Many of them have trained. They know they, it's a 10-lap interval training at the end. That's hard. That's the hardest part, to run 10 flipping laps. But here's okay. the thing. Your body, your heart rate is different. Your heart does something. This is, you know, our feelings come up. Fear, uncertainty, doubt. When we're visualizing, if it's not, if we can't visualize actual or as close to game time conditions or close to performance conditions as possible, then we've, we've just psyched ourselves out. Of course, we're going to be disappointed. Like we do want to have a winning mindset, but the visualization isn't for that. And that's what people don't realize. For some people, it can be. It's not a big deal. But for most people, my experience has been they need to face their fear. That's what keeps them from winning in the first flipping place. It is uh -huh. their I'm not sure. So you have to feel that in the visualization and you have to work through that. That is what gets you to the good part, that I am a winner because I've done it already. But if you've not faced that part, how can you trust that I'm a winner? All right. So... That's congruent that's so dissonant if i'm visualizing i'm getting my heart rate up i am picturing myself in an event and i i, I don't think i want to be practicing doing something wrong or making a mistake so tell me like how am i in this trying to do it better and if i'm still and i'm from what i'm hearing from you i'm i'm imagining the tough spots I want to go right past that and just imagine everything working perfectly and my right. steps are down, my, I'm making the right moves and everything's flowing. But I guess you're right. I mean, you almost need to learn to deal with uh, a negative or situations you're not ready for. Is that what you're so telling here's me? The, yeah. So here's the thing. Everybody kind of knows the situation. They kind of know the situation. And I'm just going to use Taekwondo. Okay. We'll, we'll just take Taekwondo, for example. What's the number one thing fighters in Taekwondo, what's their greatest fear? Getting knocked out, kicked in the head. Getting knocked out. Like, you can hit me in the head. That's the most embarrassing thing. Next to getting knocked out and waking up. That is always the 
the number one thing, and that even for boxer suit, I don't want to get knocked out. So if you go, I don't want to get knocked out, and this is what I'm going to do to not get knocked out, that doesn't make sense. It's like, okay, my fear is getting knocked out. So who do you think is going to knock you out? Who is most likely to knock you out? Who are you the most afraid of? And it might not be the person that can knock you out. They might be two feet shorter than you, but you're for whatever reason, you're afraid of them. Maybe because they're smaller and they're faster, they can get in and, and kick you faster and just kind of boom, boom, boom you. So you find, so what I do, and I'm telling everybody, so if you do Taekwondo, feel free to create your own visualizations around this because I'm going to give you the formula. So the formula is I take, a, I take an individual in and you have to put them what, in what I call a trance state, which means one foot in the unconscious or the semi-conscious or the subconscious, the, the more developed an individual is in terms of an athlete, the deeper into the unconscious you can go. But a beginner athlete, one foot in the subconscious, so they're aware of these things, the fears or whatever, and one foot in the conscious world. They should be able to talk to you. So it, it, it's this delicate balance. But the point is, is you take them under, you get them in a nice relaxed state, give them a blank screen, and then you let their subconscious mind fill it. They don't have to do anything. So you fit, it's a blank screen. And then I always say, the mat, let the mat, let the coaches' chairs appear. Let the referees appear. You know, you're at the table, the score table. You're at, you're at the table with your coach and your opponent. Who's your opponent? Instantly, the subconscious and even the unconscious will creep up. And it's so-and-so. Okay, and that's who you're going to fight in your visualization. Visualizations should not be, in terms of prescription, it should not be so specific by the person who is guiding you. Okay. That doesn't help. You are supposed to allow that part of you that needs to be evolved, that needs to be healed, that needs to be addressed. That part of you knows exactly what that looks like, what that feels like. So you don't have to prescribe it for somebody. Even in the visualizations that I gave away for USA Taekwondo, it was always they see the face of the person. Okay. What do you feel? So I'm seeing them. Go, I'm, go ahead. And you have to let whatever that feeling is come up fully. Okay. Not to the point where you have a panic attack, of course, but let that feeling come up fully. All right. So they're in, in competition. And they're picturing who most likely what you said, their, their, their worst nightmare or their biggest, their biggest competition, their biggest right. fear. Right. And I'm assuming that they are picturing themselves doing some great moves and beating this person and no. doing, having a great competition. No, that's no. not what happens ever. Okay. In the beginning, that's not what happens. All right. This is why the visualizations are a part of practice because by the time competition day comes, when they do their visualizations, that's where they should be. Where they usually start off, and I'm just going to stick with Taekwondo, is that I lost. And they are fighting with this person. And you can see them as they're in their trance state and their body is jerking, they're kicking and they're punching. And then at the end of the first round, depending on how many rounds they have, and I would keep time. And so at the end of their first round, look at the score, but what's the score? I'm down two to one. That is usually what will happen with them. Their subconscious is automatically, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm afraid is going to happen. All right, so go to your coach. What does your coach say? And the program is downloading. The subconscious is like, my coach is going to say, you suck. 
what are you yeah. doing? Or my coach is going to say, come on, you got to get those kicks up there faster. You're shorter, so you got to fight inside or you're taller. So keep that get outside. Use your legs or whatever. All right. So what are you going to do? Because they're talking to me out loud. They're saying this is what my coach is saying. So what are you going to do? I don't know because I'm scared. Well, what do you need from your coach? Well, I just I don't need him to yell at me. Can you tell your coach that coach? Please don't yell at me. What do you need him to do? I need him to tell me one or two things to do at a time. Because by this time, they know if they're a natural or made athlete. Yep. Right. If they're a natural athlete, they're telling their coach, coach, I need you to tell me what you see. If they're a natural athlete. If they're a made athlete, coach, I need you to tell me what to do. Tell me one or two things to do. But by that time, the coach should already know in real life. But in this visualization, now the athlete is using his or her voice. Okay. okay. And so... Now, when they go back round two, boom, 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 boom. What's the score? Three, three. Okay. Go back. Same thing. Third round. Boom, 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 boom. Headshot. And I am prescribing some of the shots. So okay. my job is if I know what their fear is, they're going to get one in. And I usually do that like the second round or something like that, first or second round. Or I might do it in the third round if they're getting really good. Only because you have to recover quickly. So they hit you and hit headshot. And then, okay, I don't know what's happening. I'm just telling them this is what the opponent is doing. I'm the voice of the opponent. So at the end of the third round, what's the score? Because now it's over. The score, five, six, I won. Okay. Then we fade. To, and sometimes it's five, six, I lost. We don't know. It depends on the athlete. And then... um we fade out. We fade out. So everything faded in before. Now we fade out, fade out, fade out. I bring them back. And what ends up happening is we process what happened with that hitch. And they were like, it hurt. And I fell down, but I had, I got up by the count of six and I got reset and I did this and I did that. Or if it's their very beginning visualization, they go, Hey, I, I couldn't get reset. And that's why I lost. Right. Whatever the case may be. And so now the coach that's working with them has something to work with. And so now they go out and they practice and they try it at different tournaments or different schools if they do an intercom, you know, small little scrimmage or something. And so the point is, is that now they can practice out in the world what they imagined in their brain. Because remember, the brain thinks it's real. Right. They know it's not real, but their brain thinks it's real. So now when they go and they fight someone in real life, they're moving different. Because they're applying what they've learned. This is why you do a visualization, especially the day of competition, before competition. You do okay. two to three of them because you're making sure you're building up. Because the last visualization needs to be a win. Right. The first or the second may not be. Ever you get a win, that's when you stop. Okay. Yeah. You don't keep, and... no one wins. It's like, no, you need one win. <laughs> <laughs> He won when I want to beat him again. Exactly. I like it for what I'm hearing. And, and this is kind of what I've, I've worked with athletes and I could be, and, and I'm definitely haven't been doing to that extent that, that you've gone over it and it's not my specialty, but what I'm hearing is that you take in a lot more detail. So my original opinion or thoughts on how to visualize was always if you can't do it in your mind, you can't do it in real life. And that's why I've told my athletes, you have to picture yourself doing this correctly, getting your steps down, 
making the play, getting the right move, whatever it is, picture yourself doing it in your mind. And then it's going to be a lot easier and you're eventually going to have a better chance at doing it in real life. If you can't do it in your mind, you don't have any hope. Am I close? Am I off? Is this, is this good or bad? How do athletes and coaches and parents listening to this really work on doing this for themselves? Because what you're giving us is great information. It's going to take a little mm -hmm. bit for them to work on with themselves to be able to do this. And this is an important skill for them to develop. Right. In the beginning, you probably should work with somebody who knows how to do this. A lot of athletes would get them made, custom visualizations made. Okay. They would use it over and over again. When I, I told you about my son, Greg, that's what he did. My son, Joshua, that's what he did. But given that I had, I'm their mom, I'm not going to charge them, at least not yet. Right. So, so basically it's, they get anchored in that, but you don't have to start off with something that detailed. That detail is for sports psychologists or sport coaches or psychology coaches who can create a visualization for the average athlete. You start off with something as simple as, or with a parent, hey, allow yourself to relax, close your eyes. What are you hoping will happen? You start with something positive. I hope I win. Easy enough. Okay. I hope I don't fall or whatever. And then you say, okay, well, what is something that might happen? I might fall. You're easing them. They're the last reason. What are you afraid of happening? It might be something like, I'm afraid of losing. I'm afraid of falling and I can't get back up or I'm so far behind that I can't catch up or I'm afraid okay. that if I fall, everybody's going to laugh at me. And then visualize yourself with each one of those small things. You're going to start off small, one thing, and then you're going to go deeper. Don't start with the deepest thing. That's like getting thrown in the deep end of the water. And then you go, now, what do you want to do? Then get back up. You might lose, but that's okay. You get back up. Okay. And you finish. And so you, you have these small increments of facing your fears. And it's, not and it's not that you expect to win in these visualizations. Towards the end, absolutely. But these small increments of facing those things that could go wrong helps you to become more comfortable in case they do, because now it's not going to stop you. You're going to get back up and you can catch back up. And this is why those motivational videos of people who fall during uh, track, track and field season, during track, yep. and they back to win it, that's why it's so motivating because they get back up and they won. This is how we face those fears. That's not a big deal. It's like in Taekwondo. So you get, so you hit me in the head, that's three points. Nowadays, I think it's like 20,000 points or something. But you get back up and you fight again and you get back up and you run again. You get back up and you, you know, make the shot again. Whatever that is, you catch yourself back up. That is where a lot of athletes fail. They don't know how to face their fear. So when it happens and it knocks them off their pins, they quit. All right. I get that. And that, that makes great sense. Extremely helpful because every athlete runs into that. You have a situation you didn't expect, a situation you fear. Uh, a situation that you don't know how to react to. So developing that and again, learning how to do that in your head be before you deal with it or after you've dealt with it in real life, training yourself to know what to do when it does arise. Right. And, okay. it, and it's a lot safer because now I'm in my own space. It didn't happen. And the world just shit. Get some okay. water. 
Yeah. And, and like I said, I've worked with, with my athletes, like we only have so many hours in a day for practice time. If you have time at night before going to bed, after dinner, whatever it is, you have time to sit yourself down, go through some of these exercises, put yourself in that situation and do what you did in practice, fix your mistakes in practice, go through these situations, the, the, the situations that you fear or are difficult, uh, mm -hmm. use that time to make it valuable. I mean, it, anything is going to help, I think. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, unless you're doing it negatively, you're doing something that's going to help your performance. Right. It's not to do it, to stay in that negative space It's to experience what might actually happen. So you can deal with it and, and choose something different. How do I handle this negative thing? Cause I'm not going to stay here okay. and I'll give, I'll give you all an example. I'm going to share, you know, as a, I'm a soccer referee. And so I referee semi-professional games and I remember the first time I had a little bit of a whistle, right? There was a two man system on a, on a UPSL game. I was expecting to be AR and I froze up and some of the guys who used to like me as a fourth AR, cause I'm just, you know, taking cars and sending them on the field. They were like yelling at me. And they're like, how come we want to call that? And I was just like, because I didn't see it. <laughs> right. So I have one side of the field, you know, my, you know, Brett has the other side of the field. And then I was, I, I remember working with Abby, you know, he, he's the, the head guy here in Illinois and he mentors all of us. He's a FIFA and CONCACAF signer and referee, and he works with all of us. And he does such a wonderful job at helping us to feel safe with our own insecurities. And I remember going, I don't know what I'm doing. And we had our mics on, Brett and I, and I said, I'm terrified, Brett. I don't say that to people, but it right. was true. For the first time, I said, I'm terrified. I, I don't. I don't think I can handle a whistle. And Brett just as calm and as normal as going, hey, you know, you got some L over there. Oh, I know, but you can do it. You'll be fine. Nice. You're doing. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing great, but you are. Oh, and all that style right there. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's, it's that going from our inner world of fear and terror and shame into our outer world and normalizing in that I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to make a mistake because these guys, they play at high levels. They didn't even know I was 50 until I told them. Mm. They were just like, right, because you have to keep up with that back line. Yeah. So for me, being able to say that out loud was huge. That was huge. And now I'm just like, I'm scared, but I'll do the best I can. And I, I started talking out loud to myself in that game. I started saying, you know what? Right. I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just calling the best game I can. Or I call that foul. Oh, I was late to the whistle. Oh, you're good. You, as long as you, you know, it's, it's better to be late than call it too early. Okay. That's all you're, it, it looked really good from where I am kind of yeah. thing. And so to normalize what we're feeling is so important for parents and for coaches to do for their athletes and for athletes to normalize. This is what I'm feeling and sharing that with people who can be responsive, not reactive but responsive, not in a coddling, oh, it's okay, but in a, okay, so what's going on? Yep, you know, that happens. 
breathe. You're doing good. The reassurance, not saying, oh, everything you're doing is great, but the reassurance about the things you are doing well and say, oh, make that call or, oh, make sure you do this. They have to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. Okay. Coach and your parent, and this is for both uh, the coaches and the parents and the refs too. They, det- they, they, have a, they play a huge part in how excitable or reactive an athlete gets. So when we're talking about imagery and focus and concentration, it's hard. Studies have, have shown that it's hard for us to think when we're stressed. The brain does something. It shrinks and it gets flooded. It doesn't shrink, but it gets flooded with all these things. And the ability to think sh- grossly, is grossly reduced. So this is why when kids go to school, if they're coming from homes or communities where there's a lot of stress and, and trauma and, and a lot of fear, they, of course, they're not going to do well at school. They're, they're worried about survival. So parents, coaches, and referees can be reassuring and still guide. I had a soccer game, and I was centering at this one school. There was a coach who, he was yelling. And I'm going to make up names. Mindy! Come on, that's seven touches. That's seven touches on your toes. That's too many touches. That's four too many. Mindy got that ball off her toes after three touches. Okay. After that. He didn't say you were horrible or what are you doing, Mindy? He was very clear with Mindy. That was seven touches. Get it off your toes in three. Or Gloria, stop dribbling. Send that ball. That's what you're good at. Send that ball. Find feet. So he was yelling, but he was directing. Okay. He was reassuring, this is what you need to do. This is what I see you. This is what I want you to do. He was very clear. And when I ref, I'm like, hey, you're fine. You're fine. Let me check on you. Okay. Nope. It was a trip. I know you didn't mean it. You know, keep playing. Just, you know, play smarter. Be careful. That allows a player, especially a youth player, to go, okay. Because nine times, they're not trying to. And I mean, not say nine times. I've seen some girls soccer. But, you know, maybe like six times. Yeah. And they're not trying to, you know, hurt anybody. And they just want to play. And sometimes they lose control. So, nope, you're good. Just calm down, calm down. And I'll go over to, say, number 12 and say, 12, you're super fast. You're playing really good. I love how aggressive you are. Make sure you control it. I don't want to have to give you a card. You can talk. It's the way that we do that that allows them to keep that um, focus and to keep their concentration on the game. Refs can throw off a player just as much, if not worse, than a parent or a coach because they are going to make the calls on the game. Yeah. But if coaches and parents can work together to help that athlete stay focused on what matters, not coddling him, not making him or her think that they're perfect, but remind them, you're doing this well. This is what I want you to do now. Okay. That balances things out in that imagery that they may have had in their head of, of the worst fear starts to diminish. It starts to soften. It starts to get diluted. Now it's not as strong because now the, the athlete can say, well, I, I'm not counting my touches. I don't know how to count my touches. Oh, okay. Now the coach has some information, has some data that he or she didn't have before. Right. He knows how to address that. There we go. And and this is that's great. So really, and and you kind of segued us into getting into focus and concentration, which is our next part of this. And 
that's another thing, especially when we're talking about younger athletes who have a difficult time focusing like a bunny rabbit. I mean, their mind's going a million miles an hour and going a bunch of different uh, locations and just can't focus on one thing at once. It's hard to get a job done correctly for any sport if you can't focus on what you're doing. Distractions from parents, from other players, from lights and sounds, from pressure, whatever it is, are a really big part of being able to perform at a high level is being able to focus and concentrate solely on what you are doing, not on your competition or anything like that. Play your best game, make your best moves, and you are going to perform. Right. So many, especially younger athletes and big time athletes have a, have a problem with this. Really? What do we do? Well, here's the thing, you know, I, it's not that you remember, I forget, was it Iowa versus LSU? Was it Iowa? And they I were doing non Cena. Oh yeah. Yep. Need that thing. <clears throat> Taunting, but excuse me, is, is part of sport. And you're going to have people saying things, but there's always that fine line. Like this over here is fine. Ah, whatever. You know what? I can beat you. Well, if you can beat me, come on. That's one thing. Then you, you get, you know, towards the start inching towards disrespect. But one of the things I do tell people is that's their job. And if they don't get caught, you are stuck with dealing with it. Okay. Their job, when you are better than them or when they're trying to knock you off your pins because you, they, they believe that you may have something over them or this is part of their strategy to get you uh, distracted, they are going to taunt you. They just are. Oh, yeah. Your job is to make sure mentally you're like, right? Remember, I think in, I don't know if it was the last episode of the episode before last, I said, I remember <laughs> I remember in the Taekwondo tournament, one of the coaches told their, their athlete, they said, he has to borrow your sister. He's like, what? And the guy got all upset and he went out there and he beat the crap out of the guy. And I was just like, you're his coach. He's like, I knew that that would work for him. He would completely just, I was just like, we should talk about that. And I Whatever works. I was remember sitting going, okay. But it can work to somebody's advantage, but it usually works to someone's disadvantage because you can't play well when you're angry. Whenever there's that much heavy emotion flooding your body, your muscles are going to tense up. You're not going to see everything. You're just going to see red. Your ability to go from internal to external vision, feeling what's going on with you, seeing what's going on out in the world is going to be limited. Yeah, and you're not paying attention to changes like you're just like you said seeing red you're focused on one thing somebody throws some unexpected at you you can't react and 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 be able to respond to that i i I follow you and that's why with the imagery some of the things are you know what what if they say i suck what are you doing on this team you're too little get your little butt off this field blah 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 get off this court yeah and what if you think already I don't know if I should be here. What if I, I don't make it? Something like that is going to just go, wow, that's a buffet of inadequacy and doubt. Yeah. Right. And so it's not so much it's the taunting, it's more 
where it, where it ends up falling within you. So that's why we look inside first, because no one can make us feel anything that's not already there. So if they say something to us and we have a reaction, that's our reaction. If I have a reaction to something you tell me, it's a possessive pronoun. I have the reaction. So that's now my responsibility. If I allow you to affect me, that means there's something within me that I need to look at, that I need to work through. Yeah. That is how that always works, whether we like it or not. If I can get in your head and take you off your game, then you need to develop that particular muscle. I know when I was competing, I knew who the athletes were that I could play with mentally. Uh, I knew Not what I had that. to say to them. And, and it really wasn't a thing to like, oh, this is how I'm going to beat the guy. It was more fun. It was a joke. I was like, I, all I got to do is say a couple of words to this guy. And, you know, I'm already going to beat him anyways, because they, maybe that's a weakness or they just have less confidence, but I'm going to poke some fun at this guy and say a couple of things about his mom or his sister, like you say, or whatever it is, you know, just. You're not looking too healthy today, whatever it is. And you know who those people are. They know who you are. And then there was other guys I knew that I could say something to, and they'd just be looking at me like, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass. But yeah, so, you know, you, you know who those people are. They know who you are. They know your weaknesses. If you are that guy, you need to learn to be able to fluff that off and just like, all right, buddy, I got your number. You do enough. That did nothing to me. Right. And, but it has to be genuine. Yeah. Right. That dissonance can't be there. It can't be. I look fine on the outside and I'm like, whatever. But on the inside, I'm like, well, that's what kills us. That's what kills us every time. It's not fake it till you make it. When you're talking about your mental game, we will always see what's fake or not. Yeah. Always. I was watching some athletes, they wanted me to come out and watch some athletes. And I, I remember watching athletes and I can tell who was not going to make it. And I can tell it wasn't physical. I could tell that they're giving up because they didn't think they would get as far as they did. And they were happy with that. But you know what was worse? When they gave up right before the end. Okay. Because when they actually gave up, that's not the moment. The end, when they finally quit, that wasn't the moment they gave up. They gave up maybe 45, 60 seconds before then. See, that takes a minute for it. It takes a, a little bit for it to sit and sink and settle. See, people think that when we talk trash to somebody or somebody gets trash talked, that it happened right when they said that, that if it doesn't happen then, then they're like, whatever. That true it give it a minute let that sink in let somebody pass them it'll sink like quicksand oh yeah so when we're talking about metal m-e-t-t-l-e that mental toughness we're talking about the ability to have such a rock solid sense of self it's like a brick house you can throw anything at it it won't get through it won't yeah. knock it down and that's what a lot of people don't understand they spend all this money on equipment which is good on appearance, which is good, on fancy hotels and first class or business class flights, which is fine, it's comfortable, I prefer them. But never once do they invest in their head. Yeah. The thing that no one can see, but that is the Achilles heel for everybody. Oh, yeah. Everyone has a thumb screw. Not me. You just need to find it. 
<laughs> I tell people that all the time. <laughs> so what are some pointers we can use just to get someone started and focusing and concentration? Like I told you in previous segments where my coach used to have me go find a quiet space before your race, put your head down, put your music on, get your head together, picture yourself doing something in your race, just just mm -hmm. get your head where you are focusing and concentrating on what you have to do, get rid of everything else around you. What are some tips we can tell our listeners out there to, to just to learn to get started on something like this? So before you can visualize, you, you have to be able to relax. So okay. start off with some YouTube or, you know, Apple Music free radio meditation Alexa or something. And just close your eyes and relax. Just let your body relax. You can do that sitting up. And if you want to do it lying down, put on a timer or do it before you go to bed because you might fall asleep. But just allow yourself to relax. The second thing is learn how to breathe. You'd be surprised at how many professional athletes even don't know how to breathe. Yep. Now, if you're doing short distances and sprinting and stuff like that, you can hold your breath for the first 20 meters and then you can exhale. But if you're doing cross country or you're doing something where you're running more than 20 meters, that's going to that's gonna be hard for you to do. Your body's, your muscles going to tense up because there's no oxygen going through it. Yep. Okay. So learn how to breathe. Okay. Breathing exercise is great. Yep. And then find a meditation that incorporates breathing. Watch you reset your vagus nerve. All you need to do is breathe and relax to reset your vagus nerve. Six breaths in, slow, hold it, eight breaths in, out. And you do that, I believe it's six times. I, I do it 10. But you do that, uh, just say 10 times, and it resets your vagus nerve. It gets you to relax. Then you can start to go, okay, what am I afraid of? And write it down before you image it, before you visualize it, because you don't know what it is. Yeah. You don't want to just go into like, you know, some eighth circle of hell and you don't know what's there. Write it down. Talk with somebody that you trust. Your coach, your parent. Find somebody that you can talk about. And this is how I feel about this. This is what gets me out of this good place that I'm in. And I, want, I don't know how to deal with it. And let your team help you. And if your team includes a sports psychology coach or a therapist, they can help you through that. Great. But that's not what have people start. So, and that reminds me is as you're talking about that, I don't know if you've seen it, but Chris Helmsworth, Thor from the Marvels, he's got a, a new series out called Limitless. Have you seen it or heard about it? No. And I don't no, know I what it's on, but he's working on some of them. He's worked with a psychologist. The first one is really good. And I've had a couple of the athletes I've worked with listen to this. So if, if uh, you guys out there listening, look up Chris, Chris Helmsworth, and I believe it's called Limitless. The first one takes him through one of his biggest fears, which is height. And they have him do this preparation to walk out across this beam on the highest building or tower in Australia. And he's over, I, you know, as a hundred stories or whatever it is. And he has to walk from one point on this beam out to the other point and back. And they take him through these breathing exercises and they start him out with these other stressful situations and they watch his breathing, they watch his heart rate, they do some comparison to show your vascular restriction, 
how it changes, how it, as you have a difficult breathing, how your veins tense up and tighten up and less blood flow. And actually, as he learned to relax himself and slow his heart rate down, the veins open back up, allowed more blood flow, able to perform. They showed him right before he was doing this feat, how he had his heart rate up and they, he, they take, him, take him through the breathing exercises that he had been working on and he got his heart rate way down and was able mm -hmm. to do this, this exercise he was trying to do or go across his beam. Yeah, if, if everybody hasn't seen that yet, it's really impressive. I like how they explained it. I like how they really went through the breathing exercises, very similar to how you explained it. I think they had four in, four out, and they had them like practice a square breathing and breathe in and breathe out oh, the same way. That's yeah, very similar. So if people are out there listening, they want to really get an idea on how to do that. That's a great uh, video. And he's got a couple others on different things. I think he's supposed to do more as a, actually as well. So uh, a great uh, source of reference for people to check that out. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I'm going to check it out myself. And one of the things that if you guys are looking for something that's a little more common to traditional practitioners that you might be able to use insurance to work through, emotional freedom technique called EFT. That's actually very helpful. I use that with some of my, ther my, my athletes, excuse me. And then the exposure therapy. So those are some things that you can do that if you have insurance, your insurance might pay for. And then EMDR, eye movement, desens rapid desensitization therapy as well. So those are things that, because very seldom are, are, are emotions around sport, just around sport, it's usually tied to something personal. So those are some, some actual specialties that you can seek out from providers to help you work through those two. So they always show up in, in sport and you can always see them evolve when we play sports. So, Okay. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah. What do you think we can, as we kind of wind up here, let's go do a little recap for our coaches, athletes, parents, referees. Let's go back to imagery first. What, what do we have for them as a takeaway that they can use to really develop these skills and get started with it and, and practice this exercise? Sure. So for coaches and parents and athletes, relax. Do some relaxation meditations or visualizations. Then do some breathing meditations and visualizations. But at the end of the day, don't just jump to the good part. It's fine if you have that as a, as a visualization or as an, as, a, as an image. That's completely fine. But you also have to face, find a way to face those parts that um, would throw you off from achieving that goal of winning so, or being great. So you have to face those parts. And it's actually pretty cool. And it's a lot, more, it's a lot safer to do it in an imagery or in a visualization in small pieces that we can tolerate. So finding someone for that piece is great, but for relaxing and breathing, you can, those, there's tons of free stuff out there for you. So you can do that pretty easily. I would suggest that because if you can manage your breathing, your body can do anything. Wow. Okay. And I'll, I'll tap on to the referees, especially since you've talked about a little, I'm sure referees out there get nervous during games and struggle a little bit. There's probably nothing more important than relaxing and staying focused. As soon as they start to get stressed out, they're going to miss stuff. They're going to be worried. Their mind starts to bounce around a little bit. 
I think that's very key, staying relaxed, staying focused, really paying attention to what's going on and not worry about your stress levels. Focus on, on your task at hand, and the more relaxed you're going to be with that, the better focus you're going to have. And then from the coach's point of view, I'm going to, I'm going to tell our athletes out there and the parents that are working with the athletes. Again, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times during this segment, really use this time, learn these imagery skills, learn to do these exercises. You only have so many hours of the day that you can do the physical work. And I've worked with this with top athletes in the world before and they, if they want that little edge to get better, they, they just have, as you get better and better, you just need little bits here and there to really get in, get ahead of the next guy. Take that time to learn these imagery skills, how to focus, how to concentrate while you're not doing the physical work. It's downtime, but it's actually go time for your mental training. Take that time to do the work, do the exercises. It's not going to be easy at first. You're going to struggle. You're going to get a little frustrated. You're not getting it right. The more you do it, like Ginny was saying, follow some, go online and pick up some meditation exercises with music or relaxation with breathing. Learn how to do them. It takes months, but if you got to start it now, that's way it's going to get better when you really need it. And let me tell you, when you get in these pressure situations, you're going to be thankful that you've imagine these things, you've gone through them in your head and you're going to be able to relax and handle the situation when it's important. Absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. You said that very succinctly. I was working was on saying, that. You're working on that. Good job. Yeah. So thank you listeners for another podcast. Please feel free to leave comments in our comment section. We'd love to hear what you guys thought. We'd love to hear if there's other topics you would like us to discuss. We'll bring some experts on or however we need to do it. We will listen to your request and we'll make it happen. Uh, appreciate your listening and we look forward to seeing you next week where we're going to talk a little bit more about handling the pressures of high level competition and being able to handle defeat. There's, there's always something that you can learn from that. So that is our plan for next week. Yes. Jenny. Adios, my friends, until we meet again. Goodbye. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.